You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Soupcast, coming to you from Archaeosoup Towers. By popular demand, we're taking selected videos from the Archaeosoup back catalogue and bringing them to you as convenient podcasts. As the name implies, with Archaeosoup you get a bit of everything thrown into the pot. Archaeology, discussion, humour and debate. You can find out more at archaeosoup.com. So sit back, relax and enjoy our hearty helping of Archaeosoup. Oh, and welcome back to Watching Brief for the week of the 27th of September 2021. I am joined this morning by a, a, a an as ever industrious and hard-working Mr Andy Brockman. We're up early so that we can celebrate Mrs Soup's birthday today. So we're recording a, a little bit earlier than, than, than perhaps we're both comfortable with. We're sort of like, like newborn puppies blinking in the sunlight, aren't we, Andy? Uh, to, to coin a phrase that we used uh, used elsewhere in a in a different context, uh, me being up early, uh, it's the first of October, so it's a bit of an October surprise. Exactly, you're like, you're like the inverse, uh, but it punks a Tony Phil, the the um, the groundhog. Actually, it's just it's just stopped doing it. Punks Tony Phil would have loved it. It's just stopped down here in London so really? uh, yeah whether, whether, whether we're in for another 40 days of it goodness knows I hope not we're as gloomy enough as it is but anyway indeed anyway regardless of how awake we are our watching brief continues does it not our ongoing mission to examine the archaeological news of the week and present it here for you guys for continuing discussion below and uh, what we should say is that the the, the big or one of the big sort of <laughs> news stories of the week is with regards to a company called Celtic Films and uh, we're, we're not ignoring that, but we're saving them for for, for the Muppet of the Month, I think. Uh, there's going to be a, an extra special little little something coming out of that story. But also, you know, I mean, as it stands... We, if can't, we, we can't, we can't, Mark, 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 I have to stop you here. We can't talk about this. We've all been blocked. <laughs> exactly, we have all been blocked. Whether you know it or not, you probably have been blocked, folks at home, uh, by Celtic films. But we'll, we'll, we will come to that, don't worry. We have not, we have not missed that story this week. Um, but actually, we're going to start uh, today's watching brief with a few news lines. Um, one of them um, initially actually is relevant to what we were talking about last week uh, with the Dorman Long Tower collapse. Well, sorry. Uh, dem demolition it didn't fall down by itself uh, and this is actually has a little hint of irony doesn't it Andy irony and goldie and bronzy mm. um, it's a story that um, broke uh, a few days ago it involves another demolition of historic industrial heritage yeah uh, in this case it's a place called Stuart B in Bedfordshire Stuart B was actually named after the family that owned probably I think one of the biggest brickworks in the country. Mm. Um, the site of the former brickworks is now uh, going to be redeveloped as uh, a thousand homes and a business park. Mm -hmm. um, it's, which is, which is fine. You know, archaeologists, as we've said many times before, archaeologists aren't against change. And we need homes. Um, and we, and people need homes. Mm -hmm. um, however, um, the, the issue here was that of the many chimneys that were once uh, part of the brickworks, again, which formed the identity, basically, of this place, mm. four were left, and they have uh, 
just being basically blown up. Yeah. Um, the arg uh, the argument was that um, they were a potential danger in high winds. There were four of them left. Uh, one of them was branded uh, Stuart B with the place name. Mm. Um, the argument was that they, they, they were a potential danger in high winds and a potential danger to a railway line that passes nearby. Mm. Um, Historic England said that there was no need for a complete demolition, but the local get council gave planning consent um, for the destruction of the chimneys uh, on the proviso that, quote, a replica was built as part of the new development. Okay, okay. Um, well, it, it's interesting, because looking at, at the one, that the the, 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 yeah, the main one, the one with Sturtby written on it that, that's in the video, for example, on the BBC News article here, there's, there's even a video drone footage of of the uh, the demolition. Um, it reminds it wasn't, me... I, I think we have to stress to our viewer, this, this wasn't done in the middle of the night like the Dorman Long Tower, um, which they, they, they claimed it had to be done at night for safety yes, reasons. It had to be done at night. Had to be done on a Sunday morning. Had to be done. Um, no, no, uh, absolutely. In this instance, um, and there's absolutely no consideration of the fact that it might have generated, for example, protesters who might have uh, turned up and, uh, and um, attracted the attention of the TV crews who were not covering it. So no. Absolutely no question of that whatsoever. No. However, in this instance, this one actually reminds me of uh, a chimney. Uh, on the site of what is now a Tesco supermarket just up the road from me uh, in a place called North Shields where they it was a former factory site as far as I'm aware some of the factory buildings are now um, have been converted into uh, actually and they've recently been reconverted they've been updated into a series of industrial spaces so people can have garages and workshops in them but the chimney itself is actually it's a small local landmark uh, which the supermarket have taken advantage of. They've actually put the, the letters for Tesco down the side of the chimney, which is quite quite cool. So, so actually, these things uh, can be used in in that instance in a, in, in a, um, a highly commercialised way. But also, I imagine that the Stuart B chimney, the reason why they're looking to replace it with a replica, um, is such an icon that it's going to be probably used as an, as a as a, a symbol of the uh, of the housing estate if not the um the town it continues to be part of the town itself so. very, very very possibly it, mm. uh, any, anyone that knows uh, croydon in south uh, south london the um, the ikea store there uh, the former factory chimney on that site is actually branded with the IKEA blue and yellow. Yeah, and it's a it, it's a, a huge marker and it's an icon icon for the area. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, so 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 so. Do, um, what, I mean, is there any sort of irony here in terms of its location uh, and the connection to the Dorman Long Tower? See what you did there. Gentle viewer, you'll understand that we do our prep here and we, we, we do actually structure these apparently meandering chats um, because the irony is that the former London brick company works at Stuart B in Bedfordshire is in the constituency of our esteemed culture secretary, Nadine Norris, whose first action in office was to authorise the delisting and blowing up of the Dorman Long Tower. Yeah. So she, she loves gonna that be, I dynamite. Think gonna, I, I think we're going to have to nickname her Dynamite Doris. Yes, Dynamite we're Doris. Have to nickname her Dynamite Doris. Dynamite yeah. Doris. I like it. Absolutely. I like it. Let's go with it. Yeah, Dynamite Doris. Next, next, next. Yeah, it's, 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 bing, it's official. Tick, stamp, approved. Um, 
Now, in, in along, along with that story, we've, we've included a link to, um, and this is a less tall, less potentially wind-vulnerable structure, but nonetheless, it's an interesting example of an old structure being kept and restored. And this is um, from six days ago, the story of, um, of a public... Uh, um, a bathhouse reopened to the public um, after it was listed in Birkenhead. Birkenhead, um, and uh, and it shows that these structures can have. Do you realise you just alienated all our uh, all, all our viewers' family on Merseyside? Not entirely. Not in, that wasn't a million miles away, and I, I and I have family in Birkenhead, so it's fine. It's fine. Okay. I, I can do that. I'm allowed. I'm allowed to offend. No, no. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, these sort of structures, they, they can have a life after they are decommissioned and listed. And uh, I can think of, again, there are some local examples. There, there, there'll be examples like this across the country, especially of old bathhouses, um, um, swimming pools and, ba and swimming baths. Mm -hmm. um, one, for example, that was mentioned when I shared this story on the RK Suit Facebook page was uh, the, the Durham City swimming pool, the old sw sw city swimming pool. I used to walk past it all the time because I used to live... Uh, beyond it uh, to, I used to have to get home um, when I was going to and from uh, lectures and uh, and it was in use when I was um, when I was uh, a student I think since it's become um, not in use perhaps I think but unless it could it, it was still a very interesting building and so these things can have a life beyond and and <clears throat> do you think uh, I suppose just just to end uh, that particular story do you think that this um, sort of a site like these chimneys uh, do you think that the that rebuilding a facsimile is is enough? Do you think it's an it's okay to do that? And how close do you think that facsimile will have to be? Will they build it as tall? Will they build it brick you know, brick for brick? Forgive the pun. Yeah. The precedent here is Battersea Power Station, when the redevelopment that's just coming on stream there it's just been, um, the, the, um, that one of the four iconic chimneys was deemed to be in too poor a state to conserve and mm. was demolished and but the, again the planning condition that was that it was rebuilt exactly right um so there is there is, there is precedent for this um you can make all sorts of arguments that it, uh in in heritage terms um the rebuilding the facts making of a facsimile uh, is appropriate. Um, I think it's Up Park House in Sussex that burnt down um, National Trust property was again rebuilt as a facsimile. The really famous one, of course, is the um, the Amber Room in Sussex Salo, the the Summer Palace in um, in, in, in St Petersburg, which mm. was famously stolen by the uh, the German army in, uh, in, in, in the Nazis in in the. 19, in, in the invasion of Russia and disappeared in 1945 right. and it was reproduced exactly um, by the current Russian government um, so do you know it's strange I, I obviously I've heard of that that uh, that hunt it's often brought up in these sort of um, satirically named history channel documentaries about you know, the hunt for the amber room uh, this kind of thing uh, but I've never oddly enough I've never asked myself how they got footage of colour footage of the amber room before and the, the answer is that there's a facsimile <laughs> I've, I've never connected the two in my mind I don't know why um, but yeah that's, yeah, no, I see what you mean absolutely so, these, there's, so there's a precedent for it but unless it's a little continuation of Dynamite Doris's um, um, uh, explosive reputation rage. yeah 
Explosive yeah. accusation, yeah. Um, yeah. Now, uh, next we come to uh, uh, another um, government minister, it seems, and get it, he's getting a grilling with regards to the uh, deemed to be thrice, was it thrice illegal decision? Twice. Twice illegal to decision to um, to go ahead with the with the tunnel development under Stonehenge. Uh, I take it that Grant Shapps was given a really hard ride, and and he came away with a very slapped wrist and a, and you know has to go away and think very carefully about what he's done. Is that correct? Uh, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Excellent. Not. Oh. Not. Oh. No. Okay. No. So what what happened then? Um, he was appearing giving evidence before the um, House of Commons Transport Select Committee, which is, uh, we've talked about parliamentary select committees before, they're groups of MPs uh, that are allocated on, uh, places on, on the committees are allocated on party lines according to the number of um, MPs a party has. And they, they look in more detail at government business, at government activity, at government policy. Mm-hmm. And they're meant to be one of the checks and balances and, and critical friends that ministers have. Mm. Um, Simon Jupp MP, who's a Conservative MP on the committee, uh, was less a critical friend than a waiter serving, um, serving up um, a, 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 a lovely... A cocktail of of, of, of sweetness and and, and delight. Mm. Um, it basically, um, Chaps was asked about by, by Jupp uh, about the. Um, uh, well, I'll, I'll just read the question. Okay. Um, the, the chair of the committee introduced him and said that I know Simon Jupp would like to ask about the the A three O three, and Simon Jupp said I certainly would. The A303 is a constant source of point of frustration for people in the Southwest and anyone who ever travels in the Southwest, especially during the summer months. A couple of weeks ago, we had the, if I may say so, very disappointing High Court ruling regarding the Stonehenge Tunnel. What's the latest on that? And how much of a setback to the improvement of the A303 that we all want to see is this? Um, you can see he wasn't exactly probing. No. Like, Minister, why was your department found to have breached the law twice on the consent order for the Stonehenge Tunnel? Yeah. And how much does it co- how much does the delay cost? Yeah, it was it was, um, yeah, it was closer to to um, Minister. Uh, how inconvenient is it for local people that the law got in the way of your wonderful plan to build a tunnel? Absolutely, yeah. uh, and it, it it gets worse. Um, the first of all, um, Shaps. Uh, was very careful to stay on the the right side of the law in this case and not comment in detail on what is still a live planning issue. Mm. Uh, and ha- he, oh, it's a decision that he now has to remake, although I think the, the subtext and the body language was that when he remakes the decision, if he possibly can, it, uh, unle- unless he's um, you know, uh, forced into a, an arm lock by the Treasury uh, and told he can't have the money, um, I, su- I suspect I, uh, we, can, we can predict which way the decision is going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, he, um, he, he, in general terms, he said, um, the, uh, the, they got on to talking about judicial review and the chair, again, of the select committee said, um, do you think that across government, new with the Ministry of Justice, will have to reform the judicial review process. It's the judicial review process that found that the minister had acted unlawfully. Mm. And this is what Shap said in response. And I think this should ring alarm bells for anybody in the heritage world, and particularly anybody in the heritage world who tries to hold 
organisations to account, particularly the government to account, mm-hmm. um, as, as the Stonehenge Alliance the, 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 uh, uh, and, and their co- uh, colleagues did here. Because what Shapps said was, um, the um, yes, and now we're not talking about any particular case at all, nudge wink. Uh, he said, as I hinted before, the public elect their representatives, many of whom speak up very clearly and vigorously on behalf of their constituents. And that's a that's a pat on the back for Jupp, who asked the you know the donkey drop uh, the, 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 the the dolly drop question. Mm. Um, ministers make decisions; they do so with the power and authority of Parliament. There has to be a point to which those decisions are able to proceed. I'm concerned that on occasion we allow, as a country, these processes to get tied up in knots where democratically elected people have made perfectly proper decisions that are endlessly questioned and undermined on matters of extreme technicality, costing the taxpayer sometimes hundreds of millions of pounds in delay and frustrating this government's goal to level up the country. So the answer is yes. In other words, the fact that he was found to acted unlawfully over the fate of a World Heritage Site Uh was a matter of extreme technicality um, and um, uh, his perfectly proper decision wasn't unlawful on two counts. I see, yes. That's a really worrying comment. Yes, I'm just hitting myself in the head with a foam cricket bat there, sorry. Um, I see, so the law law is extreme technicality. Uh, Interesting, isn't that a lovely way of referring to your bungling of due process when it comes to uh, potentially ruining a World Heritage Site. In fact, probably the most famous archaeological site in the world. Following the pyramids, maybe. Um, it's... Okay, yeah. Well, I, 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 we, could, we, could, we could wax lyrical about, about Grant Shapps all day. It's probably worth... Oh, Michael Green. Actually, he, to be fair, this time he was appearing as himself, as opposed to the persona he had famously adopted for his online uh, make-yourself-rich-quick schemes, which was Michael Green. Sorry, I'm just going to just, uh, just retrieve my, my cricket bat once more. There we go. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> Michael Green, really? That was a... That's, is that his um, nom de plume or nom de... He, he famously adopted an alter ego for part of his business career, yeah. And, and, and denied it for ages until people uh, came up... Uh, the, 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 those mischievous people in the media came up with the, the proof that Michael Green was indeed Grump Chaps. <sighs> And vice versa. But what 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 a gross extreme technicality that they were drawing on to prove that he he was someone else. You know, I mean these details, man. Details. I mean they're just inconvenient. Ugh, that poor man. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. He he's much he's much traduced. It's terribly sad. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> let's move Next. on. Let's move on to our. Um, our main headline this week, uh, and that is that the British Museum is uh, is breaking into new worlds, new ventures, new exciting realms of possibilities uh, by creating so-called NFTs, non-fungible tokens of artwork that it holds in its collection. Uh, in this instance, the, uh, the the work of Katsushika Hokusai, uh, most famously known for a selection of prints produced for a 19th century encyclopedia, um, the most famous of which is the uh, the Wave, uh, have been um, uh, put up for sale 
in this this new digital format um, following what appears to be, have been a quote uh, cold message on LinkedIn. The CEO of a French company called La Collection uh, messaged uh, the British Museum who apparently are up for cold messages. Maybe we should try sending a random message to them and proposing that, how, how they can make money. Uh, well, I, um, I, actually, that's a good point. I, I already collections. talked to their press office quite a bit. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, just, just send them in. Um, yeah. This cold message uh, suggesting that they uh, created NFTs um, of uh, of works in their collection. Um, prices are set to start around $500 for what they are calling... Um, uh, postcards. Uh, this also comes in the context of um, back in March, uh, uh, an NFT um, uh, by the digital artist Mike Winkleman selling for $69.4 million. So uh, you, you can almost hear the ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching going off in someone's head at the British Museum to monetize, uh, further monetize, I should say, uh, elements of their collection. Now, uh, the immediate response online was quite um, uh, passionate, shall we say? Some people were very. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think we should be. I think we need to be clear. Most people dumped all over it. Yes, <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, no, they did dump all over it because this is most people in the Twitter sphere dumped all over it. This is barefaced profiteering, and uh, and uh, and I think that the, the one of the most hilarious aspects of this, though, is the pretense that it is making um, the artwork uh, available to to new um, exciting um, uh, audiences. It is so important, said Craig Bendel, licensing manager at the British Museum, uh, that as a museum we continually adapt to new markets. New markets? What markets? You sorry, new <laughs> and find, I need my cricket bat again, uh, and find new ways of reaching people that may not, um, we may not reach through traditional channels, because Hokusai's work really needs NFTs in order to, to reach reach those people who, who haven't um, been made aware of one of the most iconic prints in human history. That's that's what we need. We need NFTs that start at five hundred dollars, so that people can share uh, a link to an image with their friends. Yes. Shall I put the other? Shall I put the other point? <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm going to. Uh, I'm, kick, I'm kicking the bat away from me. I don't want to hurt myself, so I'm just going right. to put it over there. Um, <laughs> it, it, no, no, uh, dear, dear viewer, it is one of those weeks. Um, you know, the. Uh, uh, well, look, I, I'm not an art historian, although obviously, like probably pretty much everybody out there, the, the Hokusai of the Great Wave uh, is one of the most iconic images in the world. It's reproduced endlessly. It's yeah. beautiful. It's wonderful. It's elegant. It's exciting. Um, well, and, it's, great... and it's also played with. I mean, I shared with you yesterday yes. a photo of an image I have just up there on my office wall, which is a version yeah. of Hokusai's Wave with uh, mm. elements from the Legend of Zelda computer game inserted into it. So it, it's... It's well known. It's parodied. It's played with. It's it's yeah. it's, it's beloved. Um, mm. It's it's a foundational image for much of Eastern and Western iconography and graphic design. And and, and, and to be fair to the to, to the BM and uh, La Collection, uh, they're not just uh, digitising and turning into a, a non fungible fungible token. Again, what an awful blooming name! 
it sounds it sounds like uh, a, you know a, 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 a non fungible token. Is it something you can't grow mushrooms on? Um, <laughs> yeah, non fungible yeah. token. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, but no, they are digitizing many other Hokusai, Hokusai works, Hokusai prints. Yeah. Um, but the clue is in the word prints. These things exist elsewhere. Yeah. In, in more than one copy, in many cases. Um, but I, I mean, you know, I'm not an art historian, um, but I'm, somebody who is is Dr. Bendor Grosvenor, who many people will know from his work on. Um, TV series like uh, Lost My uh, Forgotten Masterpieces, mm. um, and he has. Oh, that's um, him. So I, I, yeah, now I know who, who he is. Britain's yes. lost. Britain's lost. Yeah. Uh, Britain's lost masterpieces. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, where uh, 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 so he, he's a recognised art historian, mm. um, and uh, he has been waging a personal campaign against the monetization of public collections in the art world for some time now. Mm. And I'll come back. I'll come on to that in a minute. But his immediate reaction in, on Twitter to the non-fungible those things that the British Museum is going to be turning out um, is quote: "This is desperate. Please don't fall for it." And at the British Museum, if you really want to quote democratize art and attract a younger audience, end quote, then don't ask them to pay for what they already own. Mm. Yeah. Um, his particular beef is uh, that, for example, uh, public collections like the British Museum, like the British Museum in this case, or the National Gallery or the National Portrait Gallery, uh, will charge a, uh, a fortune in quotes reproduction rights mm. um, for images from their collections, uh, which the public already own, mm. and. That he argues this has a particularly damaging effect on, for example, uh, professional art criticism and, and, and research because it prevents particularly uh, newly established uh, uh, early career art historians from, exa for example, from publishing on certain surnames because they, they simply can't afford the reproduction rights, which can run into hundreds of pounds or more. Yeah. Um, he makes the point that on, on TV programmes that he works on, they restrict the use of certain images because they can't afford what the galleries are asking. Well, I, and I, um, I, it, it, so it can run to the hundreds of pounds per instance and, of the use of and an image. more if you're talking about electronic media, about yeah. television, and so on. Yeah. Oh, because oh, I see. Because it's it's easily reproducible yeah. and broadcastable. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. And it's a mass audience. Yeah. You know. So. And, 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 but and, and, isn't, and that, isn't that isn't that the mass audience that they're desperate desperate to reach though? That's the argument. Absolutely. Mm, um, yeah. I mean, I do urge people, we'll post the link to Ben Grosvenor's Twitter thread on this because it is, it is beautiful. Mm. Um, but the other thing he, he, another thing he says is, that, you know, um, when I was an art dealer, the snooty pomposity from nationals like the British Museum when it came to, quote, the trade, i.e. the art trade, um, was endless. But now they think that when they think they can make a few quid, they're jumping into a market in the most polluting and morally dubious way possible. And I think it's also worth saying here that you know, these non-fungible tokens exist digitally. They exist as a link. Yeah. And it's the point's been made in a number of cases here that there's no guarantee that having paid you hundreds of dollars or whatever for your non-fungible token, that that link will last as long as the Hokusai print, which is 200 years old. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a 
a DRM or digital rights management issue here. Um, yeah. Uh, in the realm of, for example, computer games, I've certainly lost purchases by only having bought them digitally rights are lost for for the library to host them and the the game no longer exists uh, i ended up um recently uh when a game became available physically um because of this issue actually it was a fairly famous example it was the scott pilgrim versus the world computer game um i um uh, i bought the physical edition because the digital one did disappear but also as you touch on there there is a, an environmental cost as well according to earth.org uh, I'll just read this little paragraph here. It is difficult to estimate the carbon footprint of minting an NTF, NFT sorry, because many steps in the process do not have a known carbon footprint, and there are a few scientific peer-reviewed studies on this topic. However, it has been estimated that um, a carbon the carbon footprint of uh, an NFT, NFT can be between 33.4 and uh, 48 kilograms of uh, CO2 per transaction. For example, to put that into context, it's approximately 14 times the cost of mailing an art print in terms of environmental impact. So if I was shipping an art print from from me to you, or presumably me uh, across the uh, across the world to, to, to the US, as I sometimes do in fact, um, that still wouldn't have the same impact as a single NFT being produced because these, these are these are computerized, mathematically determined pieces of code that can't be um, <clears throat> that can't be faked because of the complex mathematics involved in them, and that that takes up computer computing power. So uh, they're they're involved in this new market which uh, which has a questionable future in terms of digital rights management. They're involved in this new market that has questionable um, credentials in terms of uh, the environment, but also as well, isn't there an interesting angle coming in from the European Union on this, Andy? There is, mm. um, and that is a new European copyright directive, mm. which uh, would appear to uh, make copyright free. Mm. A, a work that involves no creative input. Mm. In other words, if you exactly reproduce something, which is what these, these uh, non-fungible tokens appear, of, of the Hokusai appear to claim to be, mm. if, you if, you, if, you, if you simply reproduce what an artist has created previously from a museum collection, um, for example, for example, in a book. So if you're trying to just show the art, in a book, yes. for, mm -hmm. absolutely. For example, in, 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 yeah, exactly. For mm -hmm. example, in a, you know, in, 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 in a, uh, an art, uh, an art book or or, or, or a journal of record, mm -hmm. um, the outside of the you know, copyright expired items can't then can't then be copyrighted. Mm. Can't then be you know, they, they they become copyright free. Mm. Um, so, for example, and they, the, the, the example has been cited that if you went to the Louvre and took an exact, uh, you know, took a photograph of the Mona Lisa and didn't play around with it in Photoshop, um, the Louvre couldn't come after you yeah. because you've you've got, you've made no creative input. The creative input was made by Leonardo da Vinci in the early 1500s, yeah, late yeah. 1400s. When I come up with the exact date of the Mona Lisa, now, you now, see now, what I mean? Now, presumably, the, presumably, there's going to be a, a, an area there in between because you can also have a transformative element can't you so if you fully transform yeah. an image you, you can actually it go it moves beyond copyright so that the, the, and there uh, are already exact yeah and there are already exemptions which you know you uh, exploit very often for, for for parody and comment yes exactly yeah. as well so that there is but, um, but unless 
the point being, though, it's probably going to be easier to get hold of an image from soon from a European um, museum, museum. At, yes. at, at, uh, at certainly far less cost, depending on how, they, how, how you, how you um, acquire it, mm. than from the British Museum. And that's before or, or the national, or the National Gallery, or the National, or the national gallery. Portrait Gallery, or any any yeah. of the other the and museums and galleries that act in this way. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's before we take into account the the extra costs, environmental and economic, and and in terms of uncertainty of NFTs. It's uh, it's short sighted, it seems, from from such a uh, apparently venerable institution. Yeah, I mean the, the the argument is that by carrying on down the, and it's not just about the. NFTs. It's about the, the general attitude to their archives that, 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 that they're a, 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 they're a resource to be exploited mm. rather than a resource to be shared with the public that already owns them. Mm. Mm. Um, and now, that, okay, that goes to a fundamental question of how do we fund our museums and and galleries? And there has been a move to see them as businesses uh, that that act uh, in as new businesses into. Uh, exploiting new markets, absolutely, um, and you know, we we have to ask, you know, is is that what we want? Uh, now, you know, again, to be fair to them, um, the uh, major British museums and galleries are still free to enter. Yes, um, but obviously, that's a limited audience. The people that can get there physically. But that's also a very different, um, different argument from the from from suggesting that you're trying desperately to make this art available to new uh, and hitherto unreached audiences. Yes, if that's what I mean. So if they were saying, "Look, yes. we're doing this because we want to keep the museum open for everyone for free forever," yeah, I might just about understand why they're doing it, as opposed uh, to uh, just uh, seeing uh, them uh, see uh, dollar signs. Absolutely. Look, I think just to, to, to wind this up, it's. This, this this venture has been pretty pretty much panned across the board. I mean, another uh, a name that people will recognise, historian and art critic Simon Sharma, mm. um, just tweeted a uh, terrible idea. Mm. Um, and it's uh, and, and our colleague uh, David Petz from Durham University um, tweeted out: uh, If the British Museum is serious about democratising and increasing access to its collections, it needs to stop its absolutely gouging reproduction fees for everything except the most narrowly academic publications. Yeah, um, you know, this, the, 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 it, it's not just artworks; it's pieces from the archaeological record, from the archaeological archive of the British Museum as well. We're talking about here. Mm. So, you know, so, in, so in that in case, of, I mean, I know that David often works, for example, in the in the realm of um, Anglo-Saxon sculpture, for example, this kind of yes. thing. Yeah. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, I think you know, bottom line, and that's what we're talking about here, the bottom line, um, what we've got is the British Museum speculating on a new fad in the art market, mm. which might be gone by this time next year because there'll be another one. Yeah. And another, you know, uh, a, 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 another way of parting people perhaps with too much money from some of their too much money. Yeah. Uh, because we're not, you know, they call they call these things postcards. We, we, you know, your normal postcard, you know, one pound fifty or whatever. Mm. Um, these things we're talking about hundreds of dollars, hundreds mm. of pounds, um, and you have to ask why. Um, and um, you know, we put it this way: I think the whole thing is put in perspective by uh, Bendor Grosvenor's final tweet in his thread, mm -hmm. which uh, we will share below. And uh, <laughs> he just writes. Um, P.S. Here's a high res for free. 
over a copy of the Hokusai Wave. Yeah, absolutely. The image is available for free because it's out yeah. The, the artist copyright yeah. it is in fact the yeah. link of the week um so we'll have it available below i suppose uh, i mean that, that that is quite rightly an end point there but um uh, if, if you don't mind can i just add a little bit more to it just a little bit um hmm. in so much as uh, this feels like an, a, a little bit like with proprietary file technology and um and other ways of sort of keeping the mechanism of um, of access to otherwise available material within the boundaries and the the purview of a particular company so they can profit from it this feels like uh, for many and it has been observed that it's, a, it's another way that capitalism is trying to hold on to the relationship between going to a coal mine and getting some coal buying the physical coal and then turning that into something you know using it to heat some some ore and smelting iron or something um, the fact that Apple can take music that's available in an mp3 and turn it into an mp4 so it only plays on their phones is a symptom of the need to to sort of somewhat artificially control and therefore create a sort of scarcity or create a sort of uh, a sort of a, a, a currency in the literal sense of the word i suppose um around certain digital artifacts which are otherwise freely and endlessly um copy and pasteable and so yeah. It's it, it's it's I can see why for some people it's so intangible that they just say this is a terrible idea, uh, but but it's also a symptom of of where we're at in 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 our economic system at the moment. People are, are trying to hold on to con elements of economic control that previously were held by people who literally owned the factory in which something was built. That's no longer the case when you can literally copy and paste something automatically thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. Um, but the other thing as well to bear in mind, and we've got a link here to um, to a review of the exhibition that's currently underway. Um, it opened uh, yesterday on the 30th of September and is open until the 30th of January next year. Hokusai, the great picture book of everything, is an exhibition which is uh, available for access in the British Museum. And even though they're selling prints uh, or postcards of Hokusai's prints for $500 up, upwards in fact you have to also pay 11 pounds uh, per adult to access the, the exhibition so actually they're not subsidizing access uh, they are they are also profiting from access to the exhibition as well so the exhibition access is a paid access even though it's a publicly owned collection um, copying the image and putting it in a book is, is a paid process even though it's a publicly owned um, collection and uh, now you can also buy an NFT of, uh, you know, which may in a few years' time be the MySpace of um, digital properties um, for $500 plus of an image which is owned in a publicly owned collection. And also, as I say, uh, referencing the image on my wall, is also part of a internationally known basic library of graphical touchstone imagery. It's it's people dancing around and and um, finding ways of manipulating uh, ideas of ownership. And I find this both fascinating and also a little bit tragic. Um, I'll, let, I'll let you have a final, final word if you want. Uh, yeah, I, I, since you've gone into this particular area, um, I, I, I would widen it out just a little bit, actually. Mm. 
um, the, the, the whole issue of uh, the reproduction of material, obviously it's hedged around with some very complex law. That, you know, there, there are very highly trained lawyers and entire law firms that specialise in media law and reproduction rights to, mm. and, and licensing and so on. It's an it's a, it's a incredibly complex area internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say, though, is that I think um, bringing it back to the individual researcher, individual artist, individual writer. Um, As we may have mentioned before, um, I was involved in publishing a book last year. Mm. And um, as part of uh, that uh, contract, uh, my co-author Tracy Spate and and I were responsible for supplying the illustrations. Now, a lot of people might not be aware that when you pick up a book, when you pick up a hardback with its standard sort of uh, 18 pages of, of, of pictures, uh, 18 pictures rather, mm. um, you, um, th- those pictures haven't been paid for by the publisher, they've been paid for by the author, by and large, yeah. Le- you know, and, and, unless you're a, the kind of person that can demand, a, whose agent can demand a contract whereby the, 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 the publisher pays for everything. Mm. Um, we, so we, we were faced with, for example, an allocation of 18, 18 images for the book, which we had to supply. You go to the commercial uh, agencies, and, I, 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 and I'm not naming them because they're particularly guilty. I'm just naming them because they're one of the most high, high profile, and that's Getty, mm-hmm. the Getty archive, where you mm-hmm. go for a lot of historical 20th century imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, it was simply beyond our budget. Mm-hmm. We would have blown our entire advance and more mm-hmm. had we provided images from commercial archives. That's how that, that that's how serious it is, and you don't get paid much in the first place. No, uh, for for most nonfiction these days. Mm. Um, let let alone academic. You know, before we get on to academic publishing. Mm. So um, there, uh, there 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 are serious issues because a lot of those images in the Getty archive, for example, are from newspapers which are now out of copyright. Yes. So if you go to the newspaper, if you have if you buy a copy of the new of the original newspaper. You can actually reproduce an image, and that, and in fact, a lot of historical authors do that. I, I, I've done it myself. Um, I used to write for a certain military history magazine, and uh, well, I'd hope I might write for them again. But, uh, well, but um, on those occasions, I'd actually make more from the images I supplied as part of the commission mm. than I did on the wordage. Yes. Yeah. So. You know, uh, but and the way I was able to do that was I've got a collection of out of copyright books where the you know the photographs are all sort of orphan works. Yeah. Um, there are some things you cut, some photographs you can't technically use because if the photo- photographer is named and they died within the last seventy five years, then you know um, mm. you, you technically it remains their copyright. Mm. Well, it might remain their copyright depends on what the contract was with the, with, with the publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then we get into that really complex area of, of, of law again. But, 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 but know, that's it, an interesting example in so much as what you're describing mm-hmm. there. If you find the, 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 the image in the original newspaper that's out of copyright, you essentially are on the same trading level then as Getty in that sense. You're doing, you know, you, you're interacting with the image at the same point as Getty is. And if you wanted that's to, you, true. Could, you could go on to sell that image. Um, in the that's same way. That's true. Yeah. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's um, a strange world. 
it's a very strange world. It's a complex world. It's a morally complex and ambiguous world. Mm. Uh, but I think the, 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 the thing that is clear, and I'm absolutely with Endor Grosvenor on this, is that I don't think that public collections should exploit particularly academic authors mm. um, in, 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 who are trying to share works with the public and explain them and so on. You know, it, it, it's... Um, Otherwise, what is it, the point of a publicly held collection if not for public good? Precisely. Precisely. You can argue, why should somebody going to see an, a, a picture you know, online, uh, a, a good quality copy of an image online, have to uh and and and, and, and you know and, and share it why should they have to pay when you know um when when the public already owns it mm. exactly well technically they already own it if they're a citizen of this exactly. of this country yeah that's the point exactly yeah yeah oh it's certainly owned on their behalf um mm. well we have gone slightly over uh, our uh, our intended um, time slot here, but I I knew this would happen because the the, uh, the NFT British Museum topic was such an interesting one and quite meaty, so uh, there was plenty to, to discuss there. Um, hopefully you guys have enjoyed this at home. Please do add to this conversation below. We haven't even touched on the fact that um, that uh, f for example, it's 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 difficult. Uh, producing, um, say, medium to long si uh, large size documentaries and putting them out on YouTube because they can be freely viewed, freely downloaded, freely copied as well. So in that sense, uh, that's something that, that, that both Andy and I are are, um, uh, are operating within that realm. Um, uh, and therefore, what is the value of that work as well? It, there's all these, you know, in, in so much as, again, relating to this notion of, of, of literal capital. In, in that economic system. It's an interesting one. I'm sure it's something that, that we're going to return to at some point in the future, but uh, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you for your time this morning, Andy. Uh, I'm going to go away now and, and um, well, quickly edit this and then enjoy the rest of Mrs. Soup's birthday. Um, until next time, guys, do take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, and happy birthday to Mrs. Soup. Happy birthday, Andy. This podcast episode has been produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network in collaboration with Archaeosoup Productions. Find out more podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.